I'm so thrilled to be joined by Pursue the Wild host and longtime friend of mine, Christy Titus. Christy is a brand ambassador for an innumerable amount of companies. She's very keen on working with companies that best mesh with her mission statement. She works with organizations like Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Safari Club International, and she has her own jewelry line. She is a Jill of all trades, and I'm so proud that she is going to be sharing what she's been up to recently with us today on both District of Conservation and our YouTube component. Christy, thank you so much for catching up and and sharing your story with me again. Thank you for having me on. It's been much too long. And with COVID... We haven't seen each other or anybody has had an opportunity to really catch up. So I'm thankful that we still have this platform and we're still able to connect this way electronically. <laughs> Amen. I feel like the whole industry has had to adapt to this and you see kind of the old timers struggling with it, but everyone I feel seems to be meshing with Zoom somehow. Like it's no replacement to in-person gathering and talking and SHOT Show seems to be coming back, which is exciting. And I know some other regional shows are starting to happen. I think SCI is going to be actually the same week as SHOT Show. Yes. <laughs> so hopefully- And NRA is coming in September. That's so right, that in Houston. Hopefully some semblance of normalcy when it comes to trade shows will happen. I'm not going to the NRA show, but I will likely be going to stuff early next year. Um, but POMA, except for like POMA gathering, which we're having next month, but tell everyone who isn't familiar with your story, how you got into the great outdoors and what led you to make a career out of working and shooting sports, hunting and fishing. So I grew up in Oregon. I still live in Oregon and my parents um, were very um, active in the outdoors. I grew up with mules and my mom and dad and I and my sister would ride our mules kind of into the back country and go camping and fishing. And when I got old enough, my dad would take me hunting. And that's kind of how I grew up. I, I very non-traditional, never went anywhere like Disneyland. My parents were just back country kind of, you know, down home people. And, and that's how I grew up. And, um, in my early 20s, I got involved with conservation organizations because my parents, since I was a kid, had been um, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation members. Um, and I remember as a child, my parents, you know, every year would dress up and go to like the local banquets or, you know, once in a while they would, you know, get a group of friends together and go to the convention, national convention in Reno. And it was always like this big fun thing that my parents did. And I never really understood the concept behind it. You know, growing up when you're a kid, you just see your mom getting all beautiful and you're like, oh, she must be doing something special. <laughs> and, um, and they, they kind of instilled the interest of conservation for me in what they were doing, you know, locally. And um, in my twenties, I stayed active with um, Safari Club International. I was on the um, like local committee and then I served as a chapter vice president and then I was a chapter president. I went to DC and did a little bit of lobbying with SCI and um, attended their American Wilderness Leadership School and um, tried to really bring the concepts of conservation back to my community and bring it in a, in a broad brush that was reaching out to people that wanted to learn some of the same things I wanted to learn. So I would organize educational events like you know, GPS seminars and I would bring in an expert from the college that taught you know, map and compass or land nav and um, pistol training classes for ladies. And it started out really as an outreach program. And then um, in my later twenties, I got really involved with Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. I started kind of co-hosting their team elk television show with Brandon Bates and serving on that as more of an ambassador capacity, taking kids and women hunting and kind of helping them bridge the gap of this isn't a boys only club. And, um, 
I did a lot with the different clothing companies from She Outdoor Apparel and Under Armour, helping them launch some of their women's hunting apparel lines. Um, long history with that. Uh, and then I uh, eventually kind of progressed on and, and now I have my own digital series and um, still it's just been a crazy journey and there's a lot of gaps there <laughs> but that's kind of the summary of it but my roots are, are deep-seated with conservation so it's it's really incredible to to see the landscape of conservation change so much in the country it just even in the last 20 years it certainly has in your show i feel is really unique in that respect because you're not only showing let's say your adventure to a certain location or the grip and grin or the kill shot you're actually showing people what goes into your preparation for a hunt uh, the different stakeholders let's say if you're highlighting an art organization or you're hunting with someone special i know you hunted with i believe it was the first lady of indiana in the past yes. so you've, you've brought on different unique guests military members you've helped kids at our mutual friend aaron crooks's raise them outdoors camp so you've had like the gamut of all these different people join you on hunts and it's sometimes yourself just going on a hunt with your dad or hunt solo um, and i believe now you're doing more stuff with your husband filming uh, yes. hunts with him as well <laughs> so it's your show is so interesting because I feel like not that outdoor TV is dead, but I feel like everything has been migrating to digital and you've been kind of on the forefront of it with this series and populating across your different various social media channels and, and getting people interested. What has been the response to your program? Well, it's been fantastic. So I'm filming my fifth season digital right now. So I have done four <clears throat> years of digital outdoor TV, which is incredible. When I, when I started doing digital programming randy newberg was really like the only person that was doing digital television and i you know he's so gracious and wonderful to me and, and i asked him advice and he said this is what i do and he was pretty just like and then he sat on the phone with me for like an hour showed me how to use youtube and um and i just ran with it and i treated it i've treated it like a network <laughs> and so now my series is airing on youtube amazon tv Facebook, Instagram TV, Rumble, <laughs> like anywhere pretty much I can put it um, without going to mainstream television. So it's been widely accepted and received. And, and um, it's interesting because, you know, you know exactly what your analytics are, you know, who's watching, you know, where they're watching from and how many people are watching. And um, the content that gets watched sometimes is really surprising. You're like, wow people loved that. I don't under, I don't understand why they love that. They didn't necessarily love watching this. So it kind of helps you kind of scope and route, you know, what, what type of content people are wanting to consume. And it's been fantastic. I can't believe I'm filming season five. It's like unreal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what topics are you going to be focusing without giving away so much of the new season, but is there something different that you're going to be highlighting compared to some of the previous seasons? Are you going to tackle some different subject matters, go to some exotic locations? I know with COVID, it must have been really difficult to film, maybe except for your husband's native homeland in Sweden. You probably got some uh, foreign trips there. But but what can viewers expect from the upcoming season, you think? This year is really going to be different than any other year I've ever filmed. I'm, I've made a lot of really... Um, big production changes. So I'm filming a lot more this year and I'm doing different levels of content. So historically my content has been 
extremely produced, extremely cinematic, absolutely beautiful. And I'm still going to have that content, but I also have the stuff that's a little more gritty that my husband and I are filming ourselves um, with a little bit lower production quality that hopefully will bring people into what we're doing at a, at a kind of a different level. But it also makes it to where content creation for me is more achievable to be producing it more frequently. Um, so the frequency of that's going to be increasing. I just filmed and released our first episode for the season, which was, was self-filmed by mostly my husband. <laughs> I can't take any credit for it, but we filmed a National Rifle League Hunter match. And um, I shoot competitive long range rifle, uh, precision rifle in those competition series. And I didn't shoot any competitions in 2019, uh, 20, 2020 because of COVID. <laughs> um, and so I stepped into the competition field this year with a lot of cobwebs and I was super rusty. And um, we shot an NRL hunter match and then we went on a wild boar hunt and that's already released. So, you know, we've got our first content coming out. I'm doing a giveaway with NRL, uh, National Rifle League Hunter Series right now. So people can go on my website and register and we're giving away, um, a full entry to a match. I'm providing a gun. I'm providing ammo, and then the the recipient of that, then what they all they have to do is show up for a mule deer hunt with me in December, <laughs> and we're gonna I'm gonna take a mule deer hunting and kind of show that 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 crossover between how training and firearms um, training correlates to more success while you're big game hunting. And and I actually just did the same thing this last weekend. Um, I did a donation to Safari Club International. They did a share the impact fundraiser where what you know they took notice that a lot of outfitters and in guides have been extremely impacted by the lack of travel and and so I donated an opportunity for four people to come to my ranch and learn to precision shoot and learn some positional shooting and um, they came out this weekend and now they're going to Africa <laughs> with us wow. in July so that'll be kind of along the same thing um, so a lot of shooting sports a lot of outreach I, I have some ladies coming out in June that bought the opportunity to come do some training with myself and Jake Vibber who's a 31 time national champion, long range precision shooter. And we did that through the Wild Sheep Foundation. So the monies that were raised went to WSF and the ladies are gonna come out and shoot and they're avid hunters. And um, so a lot of different things going on. I'll be attending the Wyoming Women's Antelope Hunt this year with Ruger. So we're going to be, um, I'll be working as a mentor there. Um, and so we're doing a scholarship so people can apply for a scholarship for that hunting opportunity. And then they'll get to come out and hunt in Wyoming for antelope. With us. So I, I could go on. We're doing a ton of public land hunting this year. I drew a, um, in a raffle, a really coveted mule deer tag in Utah. So we're doing a lot of public land hunting in Idaho for bears. And whew, it's just going to be a wild ride. <laughs> yeah. It seems like things are picking up, I think, generally speaking, and, and it's good that you can get more time in the field. And while hunting and the Second Amendment are totally different subjects, I know you're very impa impassioned about shooting sports, obviously, and you also care about the public policy side of it. Have certain things from Washington and even maybe in your state legislature kind of caused alarm for you? I know you're very impassioned about this stuff, too, and I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Well, obviously, I am all for constitutional carry and getting that passed across the board. I don't know 
right now is a very volatile time to be, you know, putting that legislation or that type of legislation forward, just because obviously we don't have the control where we need it to get it to pass. And so there's a lot of people that are like, we need to get constitutional carry to move forward. I want that, but we have to, um, as constituents, we all have to go in and vote and, and change some of these seats out in the House, in the Senate, and really make an impactful difference before we can make massive legislation changes. And um, I think once we get together and really take our voice to the ballot box in a bigger way than ever, um, we have a couple of years so before we can, you know, try to take back the House. But that's a good start, um, and that's that's the start we need to take. And and you know, getting people in that support the Second Amendment in these seats and in these positions on school boards. <laughs> I mean, starting <laughs> even super small. Um, I think it was uh, Arizona or Texas last week that flipped an entire school board in one school. Yeah, board Texas. Um, Texas. And that was over a mask mandate. So whatever it is legislative wise that's happening in your community, you have a voice and we have power. Um, we just have to show up because the anti side is showing up and their voice is very loud. And, and unfortunately the media doesn't like to tell the story of the good that comes from firearm sales. They really like to put this uh, clickbait out there of how destructive firearms are, but, but they don't talk and tell the stories of how impactful it is and how firearms truly has funded conservation efforts across the United States since the early 1900s. And that's a story that's seldom told and I think if we all get more involved, we can make a big difference in the landscape and, and, and slow down the progression that um, some people are trying to make in um, deteriorating our rights. Yes, and I, I am a little hopeful actually with the governor's mansions maybe uh, passing constitutional carry. I think that's yeah. one area where we could succeed, I think beyond the federal landscape. Um, so there is a, there's a little bit of movement there, thankfully. Have some of the other pieces of legislation concerned you or any of the companies? I don't know, uh, I know you work with Ruger. Have they been, expressed some fear with this decision or this kind of agenda item to revoke the, the immunity law, which protects them from you know, libelous uh, materials and lawsuits uh, that could Im impugn them and, and have them be liable for crimes that they were not responsible for because the perpetrators were using their products. You know, I haven't spoke with Ruger factory corporate directly, so I can't speak on behalf of them. Sure. Right. Um, this is something that um, is been on the radar for a long time. So if you recall back, there was a case with Bushmaster where somebody did a mass shooting and Bushmaster had done some PR that included showing kind of military use of their firearm and, and there was lawsuits over that. And so I think as a brand and a company, Ruger has been very cautious. And I think there's a lot of firearms companies that are being very cautious of how their firearms are representative or represented um, to um, the consumer. And mm -hmm. so we always want to put out the face with firearms of safety first, safe, responsible gun ownership. We are safe, we are responsible, and we should be able to own guns. And I think that's a message um, that's difficult to argue, you know, when, when you have people that are doing it in a responsible manner, in a legal manner, um, then we should be able to have firearms. And so I think Ruger has been very frontline on always trying to connect to the consumer that is the law abiding citizen. Well stated. Yeah. I know a lot of companies are being extra cautious with how they present. I think 
certain social media companies have made it very increasingly difficult to overtly sell products. You have to find loopholes to do that. Um, it's not necessarily selling a product, but it's it's not linking back to sales of firearms, but more so educational use, uh, kind of promotion of use, and with an indirect link uh, because they worry that uh, certain people may perceive it wrong or it could create some sort of problems. Or cr- I don't think criminals would go through an Instagram link to, to buy a gun. I just think they, they find other means to commit their crimes. But I understand they employ a lot of caution, sometimes to the extreme, I think, where they try to censor or regulate different kind of innocuous firearms content too. Mm-hmm. Has that been something you've experienced recently? I know we were talking beforehand, um, but do you, have you heard from others too that have expressed to you their frustration with trying to put out their content if it's obviously not in violation of social media rules? Um, they follow the guidelines, but do they get their content spammed by people? Because I know that's something that a lot of like anti-gunners and anti-hunters do. They band together, spam flag content, and then somehow Facebook's algorithm or Instagram's algorithm just absorbs it and you can't really... Uh, contest any, let's say, ban or, or prohibition of your account? Well, you guys just, this last week, the one of the SCI board members, Britt Longoria, lost her Instagram yes. page over oh that gosh. type of um, <laughs> censorship. And, and she had a very conservation-based page um, and spoke of conservation in, in, in a very positive way in all of her branding. So I, I don't know what happened with her. Uh, but the sad thing is, is that we're all completely at the mercy of these social media conglomerates and, and whatever they decide to put on us, we're, we're, we're stuck with it. So for that example, for me personally, um, I thought about doing, um, uh, what's the new social media platform that all the kids are on? TikTok? Um, TikTok. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> I thought about doing a TikTok, but then I talked to some of my friends and they're like, well, you can't have any firearms. You can't have harvest images or videos. And so I just decided that I wasn't even going to join that platform. At Don't all. bother. It's, it's There's no sense in me spending my time building up a platform to be censored and kicked off later on. Um, so I, I have avoided that platform. Um, for me personally, like on Facebook, what I'm experiencing is I have an ad account. And if I have any content or videos that I try to put an ad behind or boost that content, um, if there is animals being hunted, animals being harvested, recovery photos or videos and any of that kind of that grip and grin, um, they will block my ad account, disable my ad account and revoke all my ad privileges. So I've really pulled out of Facebook advertising. Um, so they're not getting my ad dollars like they were getting my ad dollars before. Um, and then you're, you're seeing that kind of trending everywhere. So slowly but surely, they're kind of trying to chip away. What we can only hope is that we have enough organic reach to keep our content going um, and that people genuinely reach out to people like myself that are content creators. I mean, I'm creating content. It's not just hunting content. I'm creating how-to content and tips and tactics and product information. And And the hope is that even without these companies allowing us to put ad dollars behind the content that hopefully um, we have a strong enough viewership base that it carries that. And, and that's really solely what I'm relying on at this point. And that's been new in the last two months that my ad accounts have been um, basically, well, when my ad account was disabled for weeks and then my Mm. media company kind of fought that and then I got it back. So it's, it's been a a struggle. Randy Newberg, I know is going through the same thing. Um, 
we just have to jump through the hoops. I'm putting all my content on Rumble. Unfortunately, I'm not getting the viewership there. So right. I'm trying to go to another platform that is more supportive of the Second Amendment, that's more supportive of hunting and shooting sports, but people aren't there yet. And so I'm putting all this content out there on Rumble, like, hey, you guys, I'm on Rumble. This is a platform um, that supports us. Dan Bongino is a, a part of that in some capacity. I'm like, Dan supports us. Why aren't we all on Rumble watching on Rumble? And it's just not happening yet. So the biggest thing I can say is please, people <laughs> start watching Rumble. <gasps> yeah. While it is good to have alternatives, I feel like so many people will have a hesitancy to migrate to different platforms. It's really hard. I've, I've tried on Parlor. I don't really care for it that much. Like, I think it's good for sharing YouTube, but yeah videos but for me it's just like what I largely see and it's largely people who agree with me politically and some people who are a little crazy and I'm like am I There's really not a lot of diversity there no and and the thing is like I feel and I think you share the same sentiment I think it would be better to reach new audiences right. and and people without the threat of having your content suppressed I haven't had any of mine <laughs> suppressed yet although I've angered people uh posting <laughs> my deer pick and and my AR pick with it alongside it they're like how can you do this this is so cruel and unusual I'm like, I bought the licenses. It's legal in Wyoming. I didn't show any bloody parts. It was very respectful. There is an opportunity. I've actually been able to talk to people too. And maybe you've had this experience as well, where you can explain people to people about bear hunting, even how controversial it is without necessarily showing the pictures. Cause I haven't done bear hunting yet, but I've had to, you know, dedicate a lot of writing and then kind of um, time to research the issue and just the misunderstandings attached with the more controversial forms of it, the more controversial management that comes with like grizzly bears out West. And you talk to people who have an open mind and I think they can be, could um, kind of convinced in a sense to understand that kind of broader conservation edge and say like, hey, this is a more preferable thing than poaching. Like, would you rather see them decimated by evil people who have no regard for the wildlife or would you rather a small segment of their population be controlled by hunters and everyone lives in harmony <laughs> a little more? So I think there is an open opportunity but also the problem with social media companies sometimes is they don't have people who partake in our lifestyle there. I know Mark Zuckerberg has gone bow hunting before, um, and it's really hard. He can't necessarily handle everything. I'm not excusing, you know, kind of a lack of attention to this, but it, it, it can be challenging to talk to people who work on the inside. And I've spoken with people at Facebook who said, yeah, we could do this, but we don't have a dedicated person to outdoor content. So I hope if they recognize the niche market, um, they can better understand it, not automize or automate content so much. I think they also rely too much on these spam filters that are heavily automated by bots, not so much by people. And that's a big mistake on their end. Yeah, it, it is harmful. And um, I think I think there's a lot of focus on bad hunters. There's mm -hmm. just needs to be much more focus on the positivity that comes from hunters, hunters for the hungry. Yes. That's an NRA program. And you have people that are donating foods to food banks that are feeding people. I donate and wildlife every year to food banks. And, you know, there's, there's, billions of meals made every year from hunting. And the, the positive side of that is it decreases wildlife vehicle collisions. You know, there's all of these positive things. And if you go back to the 1930s, when the North American wildlife model was born, wildlife numbers were at their lowest. Mm -hmm. um, they, things have been overhunted. We all know what happened with bison. Um, it, hunters came in and said, look, we want to protect these animals and they found a way to fund them and the Pittman Robertson Act was born and 
a percentage of every firearm manufactured coming from manufacturing is paying into PR dollars. And that is truly fueling conservation efforts across the country. And nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants no. to say, hey, guns are literally fueling conservation. And every time you lace up your hiking boots, if you're not matching what these hunters are doing and what these firearms owners are doing dollar for dollar, you're really not doing anything financially for it because they're not. And hunting, you know, hunters double down. So you have hunters and you have shooting sports enthusiasts in, in the gun industry with PR dollars is fueling conservation. But then you have hunters and hunters are buying hunting licenses and tags and antis are like, oh my gosh, they're just killing all these animals. And these are all wildlife studies. It's all regulated. It's all done with, with ecological studies in mind, with wildlife and predator prey balances in mind. But the great thing is when they sell these tags and they sell these licenses, 75% of every individual state's conservation budget is generated through those tag revenue sales. So hunters and gun owners are truly fueling the conservation movement in this country. And um, that's just not a light that gets shined. Everybody wants to shine a light on, oh my gosh, you you took a black bear, you, you want to shoot a grizzly bear, it makes you a bad person. And you need to understand there has to be a balance with the North American model. Mm -hmm. We can't let wildlife populations manage themselves because we are here. The days of wildlife management happening on their own is over. So for example, I'd like to give this with wolves specifically. When there was wolves in Canada and parts of the United States that roamed freely, there wasn't roads. There wasn't um, any clear cut areas for animals to run quickly. So what has happened with people coming in is we have built literally human roads that we drive on. And what do we do with roads in the snow? We plow them. So years ago when wolves would have to trudge through deep snow and work really hard to get a meal, now we've created these travel highways for them and they can run effortlessly. They can run 50 to 75 miles a night in pursuit of game. And what they're doing to game members is decimating them because they have a more uh, efficient way to hunt than they used to before. So human interaction has to happen because the humans have disturbed or changed the, the whole ecosystem to which these animals are in. And so when people don't understand, it's a really great way to look at it. Like you can't just let animals take care of animals anymore because humans are here and we've changed the landscape in an irreversible manner. We certainly can play a role in that. And I'm a little worried from what I'm hearing from our new interior secretary. They don't want that. They kind of want to shift back to this preservationist thinking that is very archaic. It does not include hunters and anglers. Some stuff like 3030 has greatly concerned me as someone who prides themselves in, in recreating public lands. I don't hunt so much on public lands, but I fish and I hike on public lands, but I see that they want to take hunters possibly and anglers out of the equation and have just preservationists who don't pay, like you say, uh, the, the bulk of funding. They just love to freeload, unfortunately, off of the, the backing that comes from gun owners and from hunters paying and anglers paying all these license fees and excise taxes on guns and ammo. And that worries me so much to see this preservationist philosophy. Like you said, animals can't manage themselves because we're now here in, as part of the equation. And we're a lot better stewards of the land and of our natural resources and wildlife resources because we don't want to see them extirpated outside and, and go away or become extinct because it would be counterintuitive for us to kill everything in our site and not have anything to, to replenish and to, and to keep the cycle going. It makes no sense. Well, and hunters aren't bloodthirsty. No. 
it's a culture and we enjoy an opportunity to be outside in God's creation. And um, Safari Club is lobbying really hard uh, to get the Biden administration to sign off on a zero net loss uh, mm-hmm. for hunting access. Um, right now, the Trump administration historically had opened up a tremendous amount of hunting and fishing opportunity. And SCI is fighting really hard for that zero net loss trying to get the Biden administration, trying to get hunters to sign a petition to really put some pressure on the Biden administration to sign that piece of legislation that would say, hey, we're, we're not going to disturb where we're at with, with access for hunters to be able to go and, ex- and explore and adventure and, and provide food for their families as well. Mm-hmm. And, and you were advertising a lot or more so broadcasting kind of your concerns and SEI's concerns with the proposal to cut off caribou and moose hunting. What was it? At least 40 million acres. Have you heard any update to that? Because I know they just finished comment period with that, but that really did cause a lot of alarm in the community about the potential closure of that. Yeah, no, and I don't have an update on that. I, I wish I did at this point, but I, I haven't received one yet. And mm-hmm. um I'm anxious to see that's something that in Alaska, they've tried to turn over more than once. So I don't think that this was a first round effort for, for this, mm. this specific piece of legislation. So hopefully it just falls on the floor and, and we move on with life um, because the, there's very few places in the world that we can have the experiences that we have in Alaska and to limit those to, to residents of Alaska only and to limit opportunity for people like myself or you to be able to go have a wilderness experience in Alaska would be a tragedy to every American citizen because yeah, and- everywhere else in the country is open for Alaskans to come down. Um, in mm-hmm. fact, the United States is one of the only countries where we're, we welcome everyone in the world to come hunt our public lands. And there are very few countries, I don't even really honestly know off the top of my head of, of a country that, I guess New Zealand, uh, you can go hunt some public land there. Uh, but there are very few countries where you can just go step up foot on their public lands mm-hmm. and enjoy the take of wildlife that is owned by its citizenry. It's, it's a very special thing that we have here in the United States, and we need mm-hmm. to protect that. It is a unique system. I think I've told you this and you've met my dad before and he always tells me just how unique and different our system is, our model of wildlife conservation, because when he grew up in the Soviet Union and even today, it's very hard for the public to access land unless you have a certain permission form, you buy your way to access. Even for fishing, it's extremely difficult to traverse public waters because everything has, it's a different mechanism. You have to pay to play essentially over there. And here you do have to buy licenses and you may have to pay some fees, but it's a lot less, um, let's say, strenuous and a lot less uh, complicated than, let's say, Europe or even Africa or Asia or some of the other places out there. But we are really lucky, I think, and I think people don't appreciate how much we have and they don't appreciate the contributions of both hunters and anglers as key stakeholders to this system we have in place. Mm-hmm. I'm actually going to be doing some um, content creation on what hunters do in countries well, I should say continents, continents uh, like too. Africa um, <laughs> is, is very misunderstood. And, and I can tell you, you go to a European country and it, hunting is virtually non-existent for um, the mainstream population because mm-hmm. it, there's very, there's very few to little to no public land. Uh, there's not a lot of opportunity. So you have to know someone, you have to book a hunt, you have to pay basically a leasehold. Um, and it is more difficult. We are very blessed here in the United States and we need to protect our right to hunt and fish um, with everything we have. Absolutely. 
And something kind of more interesting, have you observed kind of in your purview, just the the rise of hunters, anglers, people going into the field, the exorbitant amount of gun owners we now have, which is exciting. It's like 8 million new gun owners plus. What has been kind of your observation on that? And, and why do you think it potentially could portend good news for us? Or not portend good news, because portend is a bad word. Why do you think it for, could foreshadow kind of some uh, positive news for us in an industry that has kind of been languishing with participation, especially on the hunting side? Guns have never really languished, neither have angling numbers, but what does it mean for hunting and conservation and perhaps maybe even shooting sports education? Well, that 8 million number is a, it's a somewhat disputable number. So the way they garnered my understanding, the way they garnered the 8 million new firearms owners in the last year is they asked a small handful of firearms stores that sell Mm. firearms. And they said, Hey, how many of your gun owners do you think were new gun buyers or gun buy? How many purchases do you think were new gun buyers? It wasn't an actual survey per person purchasing a firearm. It was a survey that was kind of a loosely asked question to store owners. So those numbers are, um, in my opinion, not really valid. Um, Mm. That 8 million number is, uh, it's a loose interpretation of opinion. And so there's a lot of media spin behind that number. And it's really not a a fact form number. Um, So there is a lot of firearm sales that have occurred in the last 12 months. A lot of it's because of COVID, a lot of it's administration changes. There's a lot of reasons people are at home and there's nothing more fun to do with your family than take up shooting sports. Um, So I am not a big buyer into there's 8 million new firearms owners. I think that there's more people buying guns than ever, whether they're new or not, or what percentage is new. I don't know. Um, But anybody that lives in a climate where there's civil unrest and they have the opportunity to be their own first line of defense in their safe and responsible and legal, they should have the right to carry a firearm and protect themselves. When you're watching people get beaten in the streets and buildings being burnt down and cars being overturned and carjackings, I I live in Oregon. We see it here. I've seen it in my own community. My dad watched a woman get shoved into oncoming traffic, an elderly woman during a, a BLM protest. So when you're seeing that happen in your hometown, you better believe there's people out there that want to buy firearms, not just for personal protection, but we're all at home. I have a big backyard. People have a backyard. They want to go back out. They want to plank. They want to have fun with their kids, disconnect from the phones, dis- and reconnect with their families. And shooting sports is a great way to do that. Hunting is a great way to do that. And so I think I'd like to give a lot of the credit to firearm sales, not just to being new gun owners, but to being people that are getting more active in shooting sports. That's an interesting take. And I wonder if uh, some people listening to be like, what's wrong with Christy saying those numbers? So you may upset some people with, <laughs> with your assertion there. Um, but, but it's uh, true. I mean, if you, if you look at where the case study came from the 8 million, um, new gun owners, it was done on an opinion survey. It's interesting. Huh? That that's my understanding. So, um, until no, you're free to communicate that, of course, something different then. Um, and I think it's great if there is 8 million new gun owners, that's great, but I'm not sure about that. 
Hey, it's a free society. We can still assess whether or not numbers are real or not. Um, But that's interesting that you shared that. I didn't know the, that could be one interpretation of those numbers, but I feel like it could be millions. I suspect it could be around the 8 million. I'm not sure (laughs) because I didn't conduct the survey. It could be more, but the thing is is nobody knows because from my understanding, again, the survey wasn't done direct to consumer. The survey mm. was done in a small pool of gun shops. And so if, mm. if that's it, maybe it's, maybe it's bigger than 8 million. Maybe it's 15 million. That would be awesome. Um, I don't yeah. know. Um, so maybe it's 5 million. I, I, don't, <laughs> I mean, in my opinion, it's like 8 million. This is, I don't know. It remains to be seen, but I'm hoping those are kind of a minimum threshold of of where we are with respect to that. And maybe something I want to leave with, with my listeners and the viewers who are going to be watching this, what is your tip for, or tips for new gun owners, new hunters, and anyone just picking up these activities for the first time? Because I think we're going to see a gravitation to these activities now that people are still kind of leery about doing certain activities. The outdoors is open. You can socially distance. It's the original social distancing. (laughs) So, so what are your kind of go-to tips for people who have no idea what to do, what the first step should be in their hunting, uh, shooting sports, or even fishing journey? What would you recommend to those people? So if you're wanting to get involved in shooting sports and you may, perhaps you bought your first firearm, there's a lot of really great groups out there, especially if you're a woman, like the well-armed woman, a girl in a gun. Um, There is a bunch of groups. NRA has an entire training division. Um, Get some instruction. Uh, Guns aren't scary. Guns are fun. And it's just like driving a car. You know, um, if you learn to do it, it becomes second nature and it's not scary anymore. So um, get training. I I think that's really important. Get comfortable with your firearm, especially if you're going to choose to carry your firearm, because there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. When it comes to hunting, I would say first and foremost, join a conservation group, join Safari Club, join a Rocky Mountain Foundation group, join a group um, that will help you connect to other like-minded people that have a heart for conservation. But also there's so many outreach programs within those groups. There's educational events. So if you're new to hunting or fishing, um, there's a lot of people in those groups that want to mentor you. They want to take you out. They want to show you um, how they do things. And it's a great opportunity for you to learn while doing really great things for our country and, and the greater good of everybody and all the wildlife that calls America home. Exactly. And Christy, where can people connect with you, watch your series, learn more about what you're up to, get involved, spit out all those different links if you feel inclined to do so? Everything's super easy. So um, all my social media is under my name. So it's Christy Titus, K-R-I-S-T-Y-T-I-T-U-S. So Facebook, Instagram, I don't really do Twitter at all, but Facebook and Instagram is at Christy Titus. Uh, My digital series is available on YouTube. It's called Pursue the Wild. My website, you can either find um, www.pursuethewild.com or christytitus.com. It takes you to the same. All of my content is on my website, either in my blog, which I have an extensive blog, and um, or my uh, video links are there as well. So that's really, if you want to go somewhere fast, all my links are on my website. It's easy. And also your newsletter is really good too. I love receiving that every month. 
yeah, you can subscribe to my newsletter and uh, I'll send you once a month an update of all my podcast links, uh, all of my new episodes, upcoming events, shooting sports events or competitions that I participated in and um, links to articles or where to, where to read more information about um, if I write an article for Guns America, for example, the, the links will be included in all of that. So it's kind of a single source update. Yeah, it's very informative. I like getting the updates and seeing what you've been up to, especially in wake of COVID because I haven't been able to see you and catch up. Christy, it has been so phenomenal catching up with you, having you share your perspective with my listeners, maybe starting a little controversy. I think it's always fun to, to do that on podcasts. <laughs> Why not? We can we can do that. We have the forum to do so. You know, inspired debate, that's what you got to do on a podcast. And I really appreciate all that you're doing, honestly, like, you know, you've known me for five, six years now, and we've gotten to become friends and you really are one of the true grit, real deal women in our sport, in our industry and in media writ large. And I, I know I speak for many, many people when we say that you are one of the best and I hope I get to see you very, very soon. And I'm thankful that you got to share what's been on your mind recently for this forum. Thank you. I appreciate your time and having me on. <laughs>